I'm in a place now where I think I understand that who I am now is not who I'll be in the future and it's dynamic and it's changing and being okay with that and then living in the kind of like unknowing of the world and then being like trying to find things to grasp here and there to kind of have a foundation to where you're not just like in free fall. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is up? What the? Hi, and welcome to this new experimental podcast of mine. My name is Claire, and I'm here to ask the tough questions of life, such as, what the hell is up with you, with me, with the world, with those crazy vegan YouTubers out there on the web? This podcast is a plight for me to be more honest and to put something out there that might be an encouragement to others. I'm keen on honesty and authenticity, yet I have somewhat learned to hide. So I hope that each podcast episode will allow me to get more comfortable in sharing out about my journey. Topics which will be addressed include my journey of mental health struggles, self-esteem and self-worth, sexuality, and a whole slew of other potentially relevant tidbits of my story. Thanks so very much for tuning in to listen. Grab some coffee or tea and think of this as the coffee shop date of your dreams. Hello, and welcome back to What the Hell is Up? Um, my name is Claire, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm back with another episode. It's the end of November, and here in Seattle, it's getting very chilly, and everybody just wants to be cozied up with somebody or cozied up with a nice, lovely podcast, such as the one that you're listening to. Today's episode is featuring the one, the only that I know, and the lovely Tobiah Rogers. Tobiah Rogers is my friend and artistic partner who helps make this podcast. Um, Tobiah is a producer and sound engineer um, and a friend of mine. Um, He's somebody who I've grown to just really admire for his, well, first of all, simply his steadfastness in working with me on this project, um, but also his his commitment to his craft and his interest in helping elevate the voices of others, especially with um, really just reaching out to me and asking if he could do production work on this podcast has been just amazing. Um, He is a fellow SPU alumni who grew up in Colorado and now has his, his own little studio at his apartment where we met up to have this chat. I wanted to feature Tobiah because he's given me so much of his time and creative energy in helping edit the podcast and um, making it the much more quality product it is um, with his finesse than it would have been before. Um, no need to go listen to the beginning episodes to figure that one out, but I'm just so thankful for his time and energy. Um, Tobiah He is working with local singer-songwriters to record and mix and master um, for local musicians. Um, He's working on this podcast project and is also, um, he'll talk more about the kinds of projects that he's looking to do. 
So um, may this episode just inspire you with his humility and his artistry, and um, I hope that you can cozy up as you get to know Tobiah. Um, what the hell is up, Tobiah? <laughs> what the hell is up, Claire? Well, we're here in your studio, and it's super fancy in here. Um, very, um, how'd you say, hoogalit? It's very hoogly. Hoogly. Yes. You don't pronounce the T. I realized I've been pronouncing that wrong. But it's also kind of good, it's like an Americanized version, because it's like, hoogalit. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like kind of incorporate both aspects of it you're right it's getting lit off of the hygge vibes yeah <laughs> which is like super relevant because um tobiah has some candles in here is there one candle or we have is a there one over there yeah kayla and i are really into making candles so yes we have some soy wax and we'll like cut bottles and like you saw yeah they have tons of um candle making supplies and we're eager to share those with me um well I'm very excited that we're able to sit down and chat, yeah. especially because Tobiah um, just moved into this new apartment and has a new dedicated recording space, which you didn't have before in your old place at all. No, it was a much smaller apartment. So we kind of wanted to move, kind of get a space where we could actually make music and actually, because before all of my little setup was in this really narrow hallway that was like not more than like 30 inches wide. And I had to, like, just do everything in there. So I was, like, literally, like, <laughs> mixing and, like, recording from that little space for, like... He's moving record. his fingers as if he's typing in a really small <laughs> space. <laughs> very, very close together. Yeah. So when you all... When you and Kaylin moved... Um, by the way, Kaylin will probably come up. So Kaylin is Tobias's partner. Um, when you two moved here, did... The plan was to have a dedicated recording space... Yeah, that's kind of something we really wanted. Like, as far as um, our priorities, that was one of the biggest priorities as far as kind of if we were to move, where would we move to? And then what would it need to have in order to make it worth it to move, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's worth it because it's very cozy in here. <laughs> I know. It's nice. I, I love it. I feel very at home here. That's good. That's very good. And then we can do stuff like this. Yes. Well, um, what the hell is up otherwise in your life? Other than this podcasting date this morning. Oh, man. Um, I think I'm really, I don't know, I'm fi things are finally slowing down for me. I feel like it's been a crazy last nine months, and I feel like finally now I'm, like, having time where I'm like, okay, I can just, like, watch a show and not have to think about anything else. But I'm also realizing that's a lot of parts of my personality. Okay. Because I'm going to... Um, if you know, do you know the Enneagram? Okay, I was going to ask you oh, this at man. some point, Shoot. so let's talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. 
So on the Enneagram, there's nine types, right? Yes. And I'm a type nine, which is a peacemaker. I can see that. So in the short of it, I, I basically care a lot about like balance, finding balance in my life. Oh, yeah. But there's also the wings. So like you can be, you know, if you're a nine, you can either be a one wing or an eight wing. And that means you kind of have different, you kind of have secondary traits of those different personalities. Oh. So for me, I'm a wing one, which is what my dad is. And also it's what I think they're kind of known as different like names, but the one I'm more familiar with is called the reformer. So they always like want to be really good, always striving to be better and really can be pretty type A, I guess, depending. Uh Uh-huh. And isn't it also sort of about kind of justice-minded and that you want to do things kind of the right way? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then, wait, what's your other wing, though? Um, Well, so I think I'm a... a, My wing overall is a one. Oh, I see. So I'm a nine with a one wing. Okay. I don't really identify with, like, the eight wing very much. Mm. Which one is that? um, Maybe it's called the challenger or something like that. Oh, yeah. Is that I'm familiar with? Yeah. The aggressive type. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't see that in you. <laughs> I know I know the nines very well, and I know Kaylin's very well. Is she's she a, a four? She's a four, yeah. Yeah. So those I feel like I'm very familiar with. Everyone else I can kind of, like, have a general understanding of. But okay. Honestly, I, it's just been helpful. Like, it's been really yeah. helpful, like, um, even more helpful than, like, the Myers-Briggs personality tests and that kind of thing. Because I don't think... I guess we'll talk more about this later, but, you know, it's a hard, it's a balance of like, you know, you're not like limited to this personality, but for me, understanding, you know, the traits of a nine personality type Mm -hmm. have really helped me understand my motivations and like how my kind of subconscious rationales and the way I do things. Yeah. Um, in a weirdly relevant way. So. Yes. I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um. I, I'm a two with, I think maybe, I don't know what my wing is, but I feel like I have four tendencies as well. Yeah. Um, and I think especially, so two is the helper. And I think especially the, um, the weaknesses that go along with that type, I definitely see in myself. Where you're just like, Yes, and in the way I interact with people around me, um, I agree it's a really helpful one. And the way that they interact with each other, um, because I think each one has like a personality that they gravitate towards in times of stress, right? Or times of yes, like um, yeah, it's like orientation, disorientation, or uh-huh. like stress versus health, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But so you, what do you move to in stress? I think, I think a four as a, as a two. Yeah. Um, because the four is like a very emotive kind of personality. Yeah. And I think it's something about like, as a two, I really want to be like seen and in my needs, but I'm the person who does that for other people. Yes. You're... And so I'm pretty sure it's a four. But then I also gravitate towards sevens. Sevens are like the people who... The enthusiasts. The enthusiasts. They like most of the things that they do are like for good feelings or for fun. Yeah. 
Um, that's like the, the very superficial way of explaining it. So I think those kinds of lighthearted, I bet fours probably get along well with sevens because of that too. Um, yes, definitely. Maybe the balance. Of... Um, Kaylin's younger brother is a seven. Okay. Yeah. And they're like, they're super tight. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. I wish everybody in my life would like take the test. I know. Cause you don't want it like a, you don't want it to be like reductionistic, but it is also like really fascinating and really helpful to understand people around you. Uh-huh. And I like the, on my Pinterest, I keep getting things about Enneagram. How do you pronounce it? I any Enneagram? I thought it was Enneagram. Yeah. Okay. Um, Maybe. I don't know. That's like self-care for each personality type or things that each type should um, keep in mind. Yeah. And I think that one's very helpful. And things you should say to people versus what's not helpful for certain people. Mm-hmm. Which are just, I feel like, very good things to keep in mind. Um, kind of about anyone who might fulfill a certain look to them. Um, like, especially with, I think, the seven is one that I think, because they look like they're just very fun, like, in a good spirit all the time they can potentially be ignored in their needs because they don't really express them, even though they have them too. Like everybody has them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like how it, you can find out things you could be missing from people because their personality doesn't seem to express certain things. Yeah, there's a lot going on like underneath the skin. Yeah. You can kind of like get an insight to without having to like, ask them directly i mean you yeah. should but <laughs> that's true ideally yeah um how did you learn about it and when did you first like get into it oh man so um through a podcast through the liturgist podcast okay that's how i found out yeah. about it too i was going through um i was ma- really into the liturgist podcast for a while a couple so, of years ago mm-hmm. i think when i was back like ending ending senior year in college okay um just like going through all of it. And so they went, they, I'd heard about the Enneagram, but hadn't really heard, understood it. And so then from there, that was kind of like the jumping off point. And then I actually got to take it with Kaylin's side of the family too. Oh. Um, we all kind of took it on one summer and then got to like understand each other. Oh, cool. It was really fun. Wow. That's amazing that everyone was on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like they were all like, yeah, we want to learn about ourselves in kind of a reflective way and relate to each other better that's brilliant (laughs) yeah they're amazing wow that's like superb um i think families would really benefit from that i know mine would (laughs) you're like know about yourself know about others yeah yeah my family yeah and my family like i think what i see like generationally in my family is just kind of like a general lack of like um emotional expressivity so like mm-hmm. is like if you do have emotions you're like our family is a lot less likely to like bring them up or to like talk about them mm-hmm. so that's something that I'm kind of realizing one is not the norm that's when when you grow older I think you understand that you begin to understand that like oh, okay yeah like there's a bunch of other dynamics involved in families that, that are were not possible mine. or yeah yeah so 
that's something yeah it's fascinating i don't know i just love learning about this kind of stuff Uh and about others yeah definitely um i was really into the liturgists a few i guess it was like a little over a year ago that i got super into them um but i'm like bummed because i don't know if you've been listening lately but I'm just not as excited about what they're putting out there anymore. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm a little annoyed by it. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I wasn't not trying to drag them, but I just, <laughs> I feel like as they have sort of fulfilled kind of a brand of what they are now, to me, in some ways, I feel like it just replaced some of the things which they talk about avoiding kind of the organized religious rhetoric and kind of the pompous attitudes which can come from religious rhetoric in the evangelical Christian church. Yeah. Especially from Michael Gunger. Like, I love him, but I feel like sometimes he can say things in a way where I feel like he's still holding the same influence and power that somebody in an evangelical setting with perhaps less liberal rhetoric than he has now but almost it feels the same to me sometimes does that make sense where it feels like it's the same thing just in different formats or a different like flavor i get the the same like residual underlying i don't know thing is still there kind of i guess I, i don't know which oh i also saw them live yeah so i went and saw them live when i was in portland And I was super stoked because I loved the podcast. Um, And I think it kind of unfortunately ruined some of the magic for me to see them live. Yeah, Because they, um, I think I just was like, oh, shoot. Like, I enjoy really, like, just listening to them. But now that I'm seeing them in person. And I think the setting was, like, an auditorium where they were on stage talking. The dynamic to me didn't feel as personal. And I felt like sometimes um, the tone that they were speaking in almost felt like I was back in church in a different, like they were saying different things, but I felt like the power was still held in the same way by these two men. Yeah, I, I, that's amazing. Yeah, that's really well said. (laughs) That's, and it's interesting how you can kind of like not intentionally get back to that or like you can kind of just fall back into that in some ways or you kind of just see like oh man nothing's changed in that way or yes but then I guess it's like well they kind of maybe did just replace what they were already doing with like another con like another platform and sort of different content Mm -hmm. so what can I really expect from it yeah but then it's just still kind of capitalizing on something that, I don't know. That's tricky, huh? That's Do you still like, listen? Oh, the world is not as easy as I think it is, <laughs> yeah. as you want it to be. Because even when you try and do, uh, yeah, oh. But, um, no, I, don't, I haven't listened to them in a while for the same okay. kind of reasons. After a while, I just kind of was like, I think I've kind of like gotten everything out of this I could. Yeah. But I love, I'm a big podcast guy. So I love like kind of listening through and more like really educational ones. And then I really like, like podcasts that just kind of like, I get to like know someone mm. better, mm-hmm. so especially like celebrities that I like. Oh, really? Um, so armchair expert 
Dak Shepard's podcast. I listen to a lot just because he has a lot of, you know, a lot of guests on there. Okay. A lot of people really well known and a lot of just like really fascinating people. That's um, awesome. So that's been really fun. And then like ones like Hidden Brain and uh-huh. the NPR podcasts. NPRs are great. <laughs> yeah. And any music podcast too. Oh, oh really? So good. Which one I nerd would you recommend? So um, so there's a few different ones. Song Exploder is the main one. That podcast is amazing because it basically just takes, it invites like a certain artist um, to basically just dissect and break apart their song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so they like talk about how all the foundations and like how the song was made and all the production aspects of it. Oh, cool. And then at the end, they share the song like in its entirety. So oh. you'll like have like this artist come on, like Bon Iver. And then um, they'll break down a song, talk about, like, its origin and meaning and its production, and then be like, all right, now here's the song. And then so you can, like, listen to the song again, understanding now, like, the whole context to it. Oh, cool. I really like that one. Yeah, and I'm sure that must, like, kind of inspire you and what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. When to learn to how someone is creating. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. Because um, I just... Like, I nerd out on that stuff so much, and I really love understanding, like, what people are doing and the creative aspects of, like, how to use a guitar or, like, how to, like, I don't know, create, like, a really crazy effect mm-hmm. or how to, like, or just, I don't know, just some of, like, the cool, like, really, like, funny human stories that come about from making music with other people. Okay. You know, there's just a lot of that that, like... I really identify with and like I want to be in my life so like being able to have a podcast like that where I get to kind of like live into it and kind of imagine it in my future as well is yeah really cool. that's awesome well that's kind of a good segue into kind of me wanting to understand like you as a producer um because well the whole point of us chatting is because Tobiah is uh, the producer of this podcast who's been working with me and, um, you also have like a lot of other projects going. So, um, none podcasts though. This is, this is, um, you're the only podcast that I get to have the honor of doing production work for. Well, that's fancy. (laughs) Yes. Major (laughs) snaps. Um, but yeah, like what made you want to become a producer and how did you first, learn how to do any of this work yeah um it's been kind of a a journey you know it's not something that I kind of would have I don't know I would have expected it like this is something that I've kind of like had inklings of for the longest time in my life but not really knowing tangibly if I was going to get there or how I'd arrive there um I remember like really falling in love with music because my brother and sister are both older than me And I'd kind of just be, you know, in the car around them when they're, you know, getting into their music phases and, um, and listening to the artists that they're listening to. So I feel like I was exposed to a lot of artists and a lot of music that I probably wouldn't have been until much later, Mm -hmm. um, which gave me... Like, what kind of music can you remember? Oh, man. Well, so growing up in the church is a lot of, like, um, you know, Christian rock. Okay. Uh, DC talk, um audio adrenaline oh I remember you know like really (laughs) yeah those kind of bands and then getting more into 
non-Christian music, it was, I remember, oh man, like Fall Out Boy and Tegan and Sarah and oh, a cool. lot of, a lot of music that my sister was listening to and then into bands like Arcade Fire. Um, and then one of my favorite bands is a band called Me Without You. And they're like a, I don't even know genrely how you describe them, but they're kind of maybe like post-punk, post-hardcore is what maybe people post-punk. call it. Post-punk. But it's amazing. <laughs> um, so bands like that have kind of like really just kind of grabbed a hold of from my siblings. So I kind of got like really interested in music and really wanted to know just like how to create something that moved me. Like I, I know that like that music to me was really moving and really inspirational. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of understand and dissect like why is that why what makes this music powerful what makes this song resonate with me mm-hmm. and then I kind of wanted to be able to do that myself so I picked up guitar and take started taking guitar lessons and then from there just kind of like got really excited about just making music and so like I remember learning a Coldplay song on guitar mm-hmm. and then like when I actually got it down well enough to where I could play it and it sounded like the exact thing that you hear on the record that's when I was like there's like this huge rush of dopamine into my brain that was like this is everything <laughs> you got to chase this for the rest of your life so oh, like, damn it that's like a... god inspired <laughs> <laughs> it really is or is it just all brain chemicals or just the dopamine but maybe Who it's knows? the same Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> We're coming back to that. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's what got me interested in music. And the mm-hmm. more I got into music, the more I wanted to understand, you know, how things were recorded and why this sounded really good and how you make these sounds. And I think that's what I like most about music is just kind of like being able to create these like really cool sounds. Like... Hmm. I'm I'm terrible musician. I'm I I'm terrible at like playing guitar. You know, I have a certain competency, but like for the most part I don't care. I don't care to be like an amazing instrumentalist. So when did you make that realization or how, when did you realize like, "Oh, I'm not really going to be an instrumentalist. Like I'm going to create in a different way." Honestly, I think just maybe a couple of years ago after I graduated college. Okay. Because the whole time I was, you know, you kind of have to specialize in a certain instrument. So I was trying to do jazz guitar. Because you majored in music. Yeah, yeah. So majored in like music, like music, a BA in music. So just very general music degree, but with an emphasis in audio production. So you have to learn music theory, you know, do Mm -hmm. a lot of ear training and um, piano proficiency and a bunch of other things. But... I just never really, and then guitar lessons and that kind of thing. But I never connected well with like being really good at, like wanting to be really good at this instrument. And so I was always kind of lazy and I'd always get frustrated practicing. I don't know. And it's just, I like, at this point, for a while I was thinking that it was because it was like, there's some inadequacy in me or that like, I like am just terrible musician and I can't do these things. So I kind of had to like wrap my head around like, is that true? And then I think what I came down to is that, like, I think the reason I pursued music is not because I want to be really good at this thing, but because I want to create and just being able to, like, play scales and, you know, even, like, even reproduce, like, and make really good 
guitar music or whatever it is, is still just way less interesting to me than like actually like recording a song, putting layers on top of each other, like adding this layer here and this here, and then like slowing it down or, you know, like doing <laughs> all these really like affecting it in a certain yeah. way. And that's always been kind of what I wanted to do. So I've just kind of had to slowly realize that, that like my dreams were much more in that creative side of things uh-huh. um, than it was in an actual like uh, being excelling at like playing an instrument. Okay. So how does um, the other thing that I feel like I really see in you is like a desire to connect with people through what you're doing. I don't know if that's something you've. Um, thought about but it it appears to me like that's also like a way at least especially for this podcast um Tobiah just reached out to me um essentially to offer and potentially see if I would like want his help on it and I was like of course and um which was just amazing so how does that how has that been like part of becoming a producer and creating things. Yeah, I think I do. I do really want to connect with people. Um, I think I kind of, it's hard though, because I think I really, part of me really loves being completely independent in what I do. Mm. So like, I really love, I've never liked working in groups. Um, Like group projects always were so frustrating for me. Um, I liked being able to kind of like have this vision and then be able to go for it and kind Mm -hmm. of just have control over the whole thing. Um, But I really started, I think I understood that like I I had tastes of making music with other people and being able to collaborate that were so fulfilling and so beautiful. Like this was one of those moments where like, these are the kind of moments I live for. (laughs) And from that, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is the kind of collaboration I want. Like, most group projects, you know, you're kind of forced to, you know, and you don't really, there's not a lot there. But when you're yeah. making music or something like that, it's, like, a really beautiful thing to collaborate with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted to do that. Plus, I mean, I think overall for me, I don't think, I've never thought of myself as, like, a front man or someone who wanted to be, like, visible I've always kind of felt more of a desire to be in a supporting role so the one who doesn't have to talk the one who can kind of just like do the stuff in the background and that's and here we're flipping that on flipping that idea with you being on the podcast oh my god it's (laughs) terrifying you're doing great (laughs) no I really love it's fun just you know this is great just being able to talk I love um I love this kind of stuff but yeah, so I really like, I think I've just realized about myself that I like being in a supportive role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why I like producing too, because I can kind of like be the help lay a foundation um, and then be able to also like kind of edit and kind of like take bits from here and there and kind of like be able to form and creatively form this piece of whatever it is, whether it's like a song, an album, yeah. a podcast, whatever it is, and kind of be like, all right, what needs to be better um, what do we need to like keep? What do we need to get rid of? And I like like that whole like almost directorial sort of function mm-hmm. of being able to be like, all right, here's where we start. Let's build something from the ground up and like creating something from a blank slate. I, yeah. I love that concept. 
That's awesome. And that's different than like a group project where you're all kind of in the same level because you're in a different, you're empowering the artist to create something, but you're also the one who is kind of pushing it forward with your skills. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Any way that like, I think, and I think this relates with this podcast a lot because I think I, I don't have the kind of a voice that I feel like needs to be out there. I feel like I don't have a lot to say sometimes. Um, and I, and I, so I feel like I want to be in a supporting role where like I, someone I support, someone that I believe in, someone that I want to like, you know, elevate in the world, um, and give a voice to, like, I want to be able to do that. I don't want to like do it for myself because that's terrifying and I wouldn't have anything to say. (laughs) So like if someone has something to say and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Then I want to like lift that up however I can. Okay. Yeah, no, I see that. Well, so, I mean, I guess specifically with you then I was, um, from when you reached out to Kaylin, cause that's, I think that's how we first got talking was, mm-hmm. um, you reached out to Kaylin about her music and then, um, Kaylin was like, Hey, Claire has this podcast. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, I love podcasts. <laughs> um, and then we got to talking and I was like, man, this is something like I really want to get behind. And that's, that's why I reached out to you because it's, it's one, an opportunity for me to kind of give voice to those things that I want to give voice to and to see in the world. That is so rad. Well, I like really appreciated it. Um, and I've told Kaylin like multiple times how, um, I don't know. I was just like, wow, like I can't believe Tobiah was like interested in what I had to say enough to like want to be a part of it. And that just felt so affirming for me. Um, yeah. And I mean, also part of it, I have to admit to being pretty, I don't know. I don't like the word type A anymore. Like I used to identify myself as type A, but I think I also wanted to, I saw, I was like, all right, like I stand behind what Claire's doing and I want it to be really good. I want this production to be good. You know, I want people to be able to listen to it really well (laughs) and enjoy listening to it to where they share it and it grows, you know? Um, and if it's not, and so I was like, Oh my gosh, I have, you know, I have some, editing software that I can use and I have these plugins and a few other like you know music tools that I can use that'll hopefully maybe help in making this better so like yeah and that's and I was like this is perfect to to do that yeah see I think that's why I just I think that your role and potential um is so magical because you have like the skills and the desire and passion for like helping others to create something and for people who don't have the same skills or like tools like how awesome that you can utilize those to like share stories kind of like in this podcast or create like music that is really worth hearing I just that's so powerful thank you yeah and I think it can sound very like a uh, saintly and like, oh man, so praise. Yeah, praise, <laughs> praise to Vaya. Um, what it really comes down to is, I, I think it's a mixture of like insecurities and other things that have brought me here that like <laughs> I think are probably like 
you know, that's the subtext of what's going on, but that I get to kind of maybe be able to use, ultimately use these things for someone else's benefit um, mm. and kind of maybe just put the things out in the world that I appreciate and value and want to see out in the world. So being able to do stuff like this podcast and be able to produce and make music with Kaylin and yeah. all these other artists I've been working with. Yeah. And you also perform with Kaylin too. Yeah. Yeah. That's been fun. I also, it's one of those things where like, I don't want to be in the front. Like <laughs> Kaylin and I even get into like tips about like, I'll be like, can I just be back a little bit further? <laughs> Something about, I just feel very uncomfortable being on stage sometimes. Yeah. Um, Did you grow up doing a worship band in the church? Yeah, in uh, in high school, okay. I got into like I leading, probably... yeah, um, worship and youth group, and I would kind of, and then I'd kind of move into doing some for Sunday services and that kind of thing as well. Um, did you enjoy that? I did. It was always scary for me, but um, at that point, I felt like it was like that's what I had to offer and that's what I could do, and so I felt like it kind of compulsory, like mm-hmm. this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and a tool that I have that I can use for the benefit of the community. Yeah. Um, but now I think as I've gone through, as I've changed, like from high school and whatnot, I think I understand that I feel more comfortable, like in a supportive role and in the background and I don't need to be upfront or anything like that. Like, Mm. I think my nine in me just wants to feel balanced and being upfront (laughs) is like too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel like you've hit kind of a sweet spot with discovering where you might flourish. I think so. Yeah. I think, and that's something that I've realized is right now, I feel like I have a fairly definite vision for like kind of what fulfills me and what I want to do going forward. And so I can kind of pick away at like kind of making my way there slowly. Yeah. So what do you, what does that look like? What's your dream? Um, it's doing stuff like this. It's like, you know, being able to like record podcasts, record songs with people, mm-hmm. um, being able to just kind of like really dabble and like kind of, I don't know, um, develop my chops. Yeah. Is that the phrase? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, as like a producer, feel like you have very much interest in producing certain types of like genres of music or certain projects or what, how would you choose? Like if you, I don't know, had like a dream project to work on, like what would it be or is it pretty open? Yeah, that's a good question. I, ideally I'm like, you know, I don't care. I want to make music with everyone. And part of that's true, but I think that in order, there's a certain aspect where, like, in a production aspect, if you really have to, like, understand what the artist is going for, and you have to, like, get behind what the artist is doing, um, in order to really, like, do your best. Yeah. And for me, if it's, like, if it's music that feels really surface level, if it's something that just kind of feels like it's, it's just made to glorify the artist, if it's made as, like, a publicity thing, um, if there's not like true meat there and like substance, I would have, I have a hard time getting behind it. Um, and I really feel like it needs to have, like I need to connect with it on some way in order to really do my best work on it. 
Um, it doesn't, and so that doesn't mean I have to like, you know, it's the exact kind of music I'd listen to. Um, but just like, it could be anything. It could be country. Like country is one of my, I don't like country very much at all as it stands today. Mm-hmm. Um, I love like early country, but I would, but if it was country that, you know, that was like authentic, had substance, I could get behind it, you know? Okay. And it wasn't just like a vanity project, then mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah. So are you at a place where you can, where you say kind of yes and no, or? No. (laughs) 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 Oh, no. I'll like, I'm still like desperately like, please hire me. Please make music. Please let me mix your project. (laughs) Cause it's, yeah, I mean, no, I don't have, um, and honestly, like, I just don't think I have the chops to be able to like pay for people to pay like sizable money for. So like, I think I'm working there and I'm getting there, but I don't want to yeah. like, I don't know, overinflate my value to someone's work, especially when they're putting their time and energy and money into something. Yeah. Like I don't want to, I'd want it to be a good fit and like, I'd want to know that I could do it for them. Yeah. Um, and not just like fake it and then like have disastrous results and be like, whatever. <laughs> I'm too, I'm too good for this. I'm yeah. too humble for this project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, and then all your insecurities come spilling out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I, um, part of the reason I like doing this too is, I mean, there's the aspect of me that's kind of a nurse and just loves to like, um, kind of make people feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And I'm just such an empath that I think my own questions for people that's part of the reason I do this but then also just as I've learned more about like local indie artists and what art looks like it's so fascinating to me like the reasons why people do things and like what constitutes art um and kind of I think my original assumptions about what was meaningful in art are kind of shifting um can you can you talk more about that? How do you, what are a few ways you feel like you've seen that shift? Yeah, well, I think that, and I still am fascinated by the idea of kind of what constitutes art and does the artist have to have something within them that requires them to make art for it to be art? And mm. is there a difference between kind of artistry versus like craftsmanship in creating? Um, Interesting. Especially for artists that are really very privileged with resources um, and already have, like, a lot of influence and voice. I guess it's been a challenge for me to, like, think about (laughs) the artistry in some of that when looking at an artist who really has a story that hasn't been told. Um and a heart within them to share that art in whatever capacity it's going to be, whether it becomes anything legit or not. It's, I guess in my mind, I, I elevate that art above the highly um, polished craftsmanship of this other art. Mm-hmm. And I still feel a certain way about that but I think I'm also learning that 
there's just so much diversity in what people have to offer and I guess an artistry that goes beyond simplifying it in that way mm-hmm. um and I mean I still think that there's so certain stories from certain artists that really deserve to be heard um and that there's always going to be artists who have privilege and resources and are stories that are, have already been told that are going to be like continuing to be told. Um, but I guess I'm, I think I'm still kind of stuck in it, but I, I am not as quick to discount that as not being art, as artistic because I think that there's other aspects of that craftsmanship which um, speaks to artistry in a different way. I guess I think it's all art, and I think it all has quality. And perhaps some of it can, like the idea of like image comes into everything with... Um, even a friend of mine, she kind of mentioned to me that she worried that there was an aspect of image playing into this podcast. Hmm. Um which made me feel really distraught because I just feel like it's so not my goal. And yet, of course, the idea of like how I look and how this looks for any image that I have of how I present myself in social media and with others, like it's there. It's inescapable. Yeah. No matter what I'm talking about, no matter what the content is, no matter who it's trying to serve, I guess some of that is just shifting in my brain and it, clearly it's un, it's not fully articulated. <laughs> but it's stirring. Yes. In there. And you're yeah. Just, what? And you're just kind of holding it in your hands. Yeah. yeah. But I think what you're saying about kind of still being open to people with different reasons that they're sharing, I guess that line of thinking is... I'm always curious about in terms of the artists that I have interacted with for the podcast. And yeah. Cause I'm drawn to people like yourself who I feel are, um, fulfilling something that's very innate to create without, um, necessarily relying on the payoff of it, but really a genuine desire and also, um, a desire to serve in some way. And, and maybe it's just because, like, I grew up Christian that that's just so embedded within me that what I do has to have, like, a service-driven purpose. Yeah. But then at the same time, my mind goes, like, well, am I really being service-minded? Or am I actually just doing this because I want to elevate my image? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. All of <laughs> those thoughts are, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think so from everything I can gather. And, um... Two, I feel like that's also a very two enneagram two struggle. Yeah, <laughs> am I actually good? Am I actually trying to am help? I, am I helping just to serve my own needs and ego? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally it. But no, I mean, I think it's funny. But, yeah, image is inescapable, mm-hmm. and when you're a person, you know, you you wear clothes and you're presenting a certain thing a certain so like that's inescapable and if you public publicize anything 
that's inherently going to be an image. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. your image is in an outside perspective of the interior you. Yeah. And that's going to be perceived by people differently. And I mean, and that's why I like, I don't know. That's why I like with, with Kaylin's music, it's like, like, I don't want to like speak for her in any way, but it's hard to like, cause you're like, you have to kind of consciously understand like, how is this going to come off and what are people mm-hmm. going to think? And not yeah. that you're making music and um, thinking about just wanting to please people, wanting people to like it because there's a lot more there, but it's inherently part of being an artist and mm-hmm. uh, being a creative help, being a helper. Like you're always going to, how will this affect people? Yeah. How yeah. will this affect people? How will people perceive it? And that's inescapable. So I think it's like being able to move from that because that's such a, um, you can so easily just stagnate in like this kind of like. Just become stuck in that struggle. Yes. And then you don't actually do the work, the good work, you know, yeah. and do what you want to be doing. So I don't know. I'm kind of, yeah, that whole thing. I, and I, I think for that reason early on, I really wanted to know myself, to understand how it came off and mm-hmm. to like basically develop my own identity as a sort of brand. I saw it as kind of like this, like, all right, I have to like be this type of person and this is how people see me. And then I'll have, I'll feel safe and I'll feel known and understood because this is how I'm perceived, you know? But then I realized later and later that like, it's not as easy as that. And then also that I was changing without even realizing it in that way. Yeah, that's interesting because we had talked about identity and how this was kind of a an important, um, this question or theme has been kind of important in your life came mm-hmm. up. And like, now I'm wondering how they differ. Like one's image and one's identity are different and yet somehow kind of related. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole like question of identity and like, who am I? Mm-hmm. It's tricky stuff, man. And as an uh, artist, it kind of does become like, well, one's identity fuels how people perceive you. But it's interesting to hear you say that you kind of had a little bit of a developmental period of like wondering about your identity and like, how is it? What are you putting out into the world? Is yeah. that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, even in like a, I mean, in a capitalist society, like how you, how you show yourself and how you're perceived and how you're, how you market yourself is like essential in, you know, in being able to be successful and yeah. making money even, you know? So like there's such a, um, our, socially, there's such a social focus on image and identity and who are, who is this person? What makes this person distinct? And it's, and it can, it's so much like, you know, like you're just like marketing a person and it's really weird. Yeah. Um, I have some issues with it, but I think from, I think the formative, I guess, thoughts of like what, how I view identity have been a lot from some things I've read in philosophy. Um, (laughs) reading philosophers like Soren Kierkegaard and, um, Albert Camus and a lot of the existentialist philosophers. Um, oh, and Fyodor Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite author. 
I love him. And there's like, there's something about all those people where for me, it felt like reading that, reading their stuff. It felt like that was like, oh yeah, that I feel that in my body is true. Mm. There's this sort of like, it resonates with you so much that you're like, yeah, yes, yes. And so you kind of like, those are those formative shifts in your life that you're like, absolutely. Like, I haven't been able to, like, put words to it. I haven't been able to, like, even comprehend it to that degree. But now it's, like, there. Yeah. In an instant. Um, But, so, going back. So, I feel like my thoughts on identity and have shifted dramatically. When I, like, have read a lot of existentialist philosophers who kind of talk about, you know, it's not about saying that it's not about, like, there's this one thing, there's this sort of essence of what a person is that gives them their meaning and identity and purpose. It's not like something within themselves, this sort of like essential nature of a person that makes them who they are, but the, just the very fact that they exist, that they have an existence is what gives them meaning and purpose mm. and gives them an identity. And that's mm. theirs to do what they will. Mm. So it's like this really freeing and really like for me it's really profoundly beautiful to understand like there's so many people being like who am I really you know and trying to like like nail down yeah and just kind of like passively kind of trying to understand who they are when in reality it's it's in every like waking moment in the very it just kind of is that it is that is you and it's not it's not definite and I think that's what people want people want to know who they are and have that be concrete Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, yeah, if you've like been through traumatic, uh, something traumatic in your life and you need to have some sort of like safety, it's, you really need to have like a sort of like concreteness of like, what foundation do I have to understand who I am? So it's really, mm-hmm. um, disorienting when you're like, oh, it's, it's anything. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I think I've had to go through like a lot of deconstruction. I've kind of had to wrestle with what that means for who I am. Um, and what yeah. I, who I was in high school was very different who, from who I am today. And I was imagining that we share a commonality of perhaps in high school, like the, one of the first identities you might mention is like being Christian Yes. and what that meant for like what you did, what you saw your life as. Um, but maybe now that's changed a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely changed. Because when I was in high school, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, very concretely who I am. This is always going to be in my life. Nothing's going to change. And it's a really naive thing to think when you're, like, 16 years old. You're like, this is who I am forever, you know? Um, But, you know, you do because that's, like, that's all you know. And as humans, like, we can only perceive what we can perceive. The rest of it is, you know, out in the open. (laughs) It's kind of not knowable. Um, sorry, this, this can get way too, way too esoteric. No, I like where we're. <laughs> I like where we're diving. I'm diving with it. Let's keep it going. Oh, <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so growing up um, in a Christian household and being really, really, um, like a really devout Christian and trying to understand what that meant. I remember being like seven years old, and in church one Sunday, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the best Christian there ever was. (laughs) And so I'd wear like, you know, a nice little plaid button up shirt to church every Sunday. And I would do the things that people said you should do. And 
I was like, that's what being a Christian is. And then, but then, you know, you're like, oh, it's so much more than that. And I love how of, the plaid shirt is like a key, key component of that. Oh yeah. Like a nice, you know, like baby blue with white and gray. Yeah. Very soft. Uh, it's like and... burned into my brain. Oh, wow. <laughs> but no, it, I mean, it changes, right? So, and then as I kind of got to understand Christian history more and about a lot of the nuances and, and then starting to wrestle mm-hmm. with these things and like did that happen once you were in college yeah yeah I think um some of it was kind of started in high school Mm -hmm. going through a lot of like I had to kind of wrestle with a lot of that in high school but it was still very much like a okay God's got it in the end you know so like it was never Mm -hmm. I was always still very much within the Christian line of thinking I guess um when kind of perceiving these problems and these issues but it wasn't until college that I had to really start evaluating a lot of these things and kind of wrestling with wrestling with yeah all these things that I'd grown up and to be perceived as like true and Mm -hmm. what is um yeah just I guess yeah like what is the mean what is the purpose of life um I'd say so yeah so I mean growing up you kind of have that sort of foundation. And especially for me, it was a Christian foundation of like, this is faith, this is the meaning of life, and this is where you go after you die. And mm-hmm. it's all very cut and dry because the Bible is so cut and dry, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Obviously. There's no questions. Um, so it can, So I had to go through a serious um, identity crisis, ultimately, I guess to put it plainly, in college when I started to a lot of these things that had been just um, very passively part of my life mm-hmm. kind of started falling away and I was really wrestling with what is faith and having doubt and are those um, are those on the opposite sides of the spectrum or are they like inherent like is doubt part of faith and you yeah. know so like and having to wrestle with just what I see and what I believe to be true and um, a lot of Authors like Kierkegaard and Dostoevsky were really helpful in me kind of developing a framework to go from, but the, a lot of it was like just kind of like me coming to what I feel to be like, there's a lot that's unknown, and as humans, we are limited to what our brains can, you know, understand and perceive, yeah. and there's probably a lot more out there that we don't know, obviously, <laughs> and it's really... For me now, I'm like, it's just arrogant to think like that we can perceive everything that there is to be perceived. Mm-hmm. It's arrogant to think that, you know, like God exists solely within the confines of the Bible and everything we can know about God is in there. And like, that any other thinking is wrong. Yeah, man. I mean, the more I, I really like, I have such a profound respect for Christianity in a lot of ways, um, but I, I struggle with just how it's been rendered in throughout history and the ways that I think it's been plagued with nationalism and like these yeah. this sort of tribalistic mentality and who's in and who's out yeah it's and I don't know so like I had to yeah so we can talk about this for hours <laughs> I love talking about this kind of stuff um but how it relates to identity specifically is I kind of just had to wrestle with that and I'm in a place now where I think I understand that who I am now is not who I'll be in the future and it's dynamic and it's changing Mm -hmm. and being okay with that. And then, 
living in the kind of like unknowing of the world and then being like trying to find things to grasp here and there to kind of have a foundation to where you're not just like in free fall. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I'm, I kind of have a few things that I can grasp onto that have been really, really beautiful. Yeah. So you're kind of, you had to reshape like what items in the world like constituted your identity like what formed those together yeah and what was worth holding on to yeah you could hold on to yeah I definitely went through a similar thing um and I think I still am in the midst of that like kind of post-faith deconstruction like Mm -hmm. okay what what do I want to like really invest and keep as truth in my life but then there's things I feel like as a Christian, like growing up a Christian, and I still call myself a Christian, even though like <laughs> it's so loose of a term now, yeah, but same. just because I the narrative say. within my, my, my mind, um, the narrative of like, like God saving and like Jesus as who Jesus was, um, in the Bible, like some of these stories are just, I feel like so embedded in my internal dialogue mm-hmm. and like my conversation with myself and why I do things a certain way, like why I do things still, Yeah, I feel like is really feels very interwoven with that story, even though I don't read the Bible consistently at all. Um, and I'm, have many struggles with what the church is and how it has harmed people. Um, but there's aspects of those stories where you're like, this is true. Like the symbols and the beauty being of like, it doesn't need to be literally true or it doesn't yeah. really have happened in order to be like true about just existence. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think as a nurse too, it's really, um, I don't know. I don't think I could do it without having that basis of faith to like trust in divine hope is (laughs) which like I'm thinking of friends in my life who are just so um don't believe in that line of thinking at all laughing at that but it's true like I just I feel like there's and whether it shows up like whether it is just brain waves like whether it is um like biological I just still think that there is an aspect of transcendence in that like humans long for Mm. in their like connections with others. Um, Like even for patients who are, um, I don't know, even when I see people who are dying or who I see people who don't have any cognitive wherewithal um, or for people who are just so like embittered by their situation and are so gruff, like, I still feel like the divine is present in those interactions and in the way that I perceive them. And, and I don't know if it's just because of my Christian background or if it's, but I I can't think that, like, I just am like, no, I still believe in the hope that God is, is with me in these moments because otherwise, like, I can't make sense of it. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be like a grounding point of like, yeah, like facing death and, that sort of like pain daily. Yeah. 
yeah, absolutely. But I think, it, I mean, um, being, feeling like st- this spirituality is still very much part of my life. Like I, mm-hmm. I totally see, I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, like there's a, still a divine aspect to, to all of this and to, um, those interactions you have mm-hmm. with patients and even when it comes to death, like, like there's something still, yeah, that you like you sense and you feel and I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's easy to say, oh, it's just cause that's how you're raised. But I think it's, it's, it's that would break down pretty fast. I think in your mm-hmm. line of work, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But, like there's still something that you can, you perceive even subtly that there's, that's something going, is something going something's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just remembered like when I talked with Kaylin on the podcast, she said something that stuck with me. Um, she was talking about like, even us having a conversation over coffee is prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think that too has been, I don't know, just believing. I, I think God is working in everyone and God is everyone. And God is like, which means prayer is um, a lot more open and present in my life than my anxious, um, I don't know, Christian teenage self thought that I had to like kneel next to my bed and like had to pray for every single person in my life, had to ask forgiveness for every sin like on the daily. <laughs> like otherwise I wasn't communing with God. Yeah. Yeah, because those are yeah. those are practices that, you know, have a function for a reason. Mm-hmm. But that function can be different and look very differently, you know, because because as long as it's going back to that like, whatever you know, prayer is used for. Like that's however that happens. That's how it happens. It can happen in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah, praying is not just like this certain stance and the way you hold your hands and able to zone out and focus on every like this very specific thing it's, it's though so I still like and, that too yeah because it's meditative and it uh-huh. like, centers you it's a mindfulness it's being able to take time yeah and have a space among so many other yeah reasons. yeah I agree with that um is it okay if we take a time out for a moment tea time tea time We're back, back in action. I had to pee, sorry. Yes, me too. <laughs> sorry for being human. It's not okay. That should not be part of your identity. <laughs> but we'll allow it for now. Um, but yes, we're back, and I'm also drinking some sparkling water. Toby's not having any because um, that would just cause a lot of problems. Burps. Burps mainly. Um, I also just don't like, like, sparkling water. It has to be a certain type for me to even enjoy. Otherwise, I don't like sparkling but water. But this is in your apartment. What kind do you like? Oh, I don't really drink those. I love, like, kombucha and stuff. Kombucha, beer, everything. It's great. But sparkling water... So you don't water, like sparkling water? No. Oh, okay. So it's this like is too, only Kaylin's. It's, like too carbonated, I think, for me. Oh. This one doesn't taste that carbonated to me. Um, I feel like I saw... There was, like, a comic artist who I saw on Instagram who did, like, a 
the LaCroix, um, a drawing of a LaCroix, and all of the words on it were like, what is this? It's not even soda. It's <laughs> overpriced soda with no flavor. And I was like, you guys, you're missing the point. It's not supposed to be soda. <laughs> is it a textural thing? It's a textural thing. The sparkliness? Yeah. I, I, I like it, but my parents used to buy LaCroix when I was like 10. Oh, so they're like the OG before. So we always cool. had it in the house. And I didn't realize it was cool until... It explains why you're so hip. Oh. You're so hip with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> my parents were hip with the kids yeah, before it was hip. Yes. Um, but then I like... I had it in Europe a lot with my dad when I went there. So maybe it does make me feel a little bit fancy. Yes, yeah. Or nostalgic. Yes. And I especially like, you know, when you go to certain cafes and you get a cappuccino? Yes. Or an espresso shot and they give you the sparkling water with it? Yes. They do that at Cafe Ladro. I love that. I feel like it's the perfect balance for some reason. Because it's, it's a palate cleanser. Yeah. Yeah, so you can like really taste the coffee. You don't just get, it's not just like, you don't get a... It's not diminishing returns or anything like that. Oh, so that's, it cleanses your palate every time you drink. Yeah, yeah. Just from what I know from, I was a barista for a little bit and. Like, Which shop? Uh, El Diablo and then My Dio. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. So we do that and like some people would ask for it, some people don't care about it, but usually, yeah, with espresso or cortados or macchiatos. Uh-huh. I was talking to my mom about cortados because she didn't know what that was. But then I was afraid I didn't explain it properly. It's all just like the amount of milk you have with espresso. But isn't it cream in a cortado? Um, no, it should just be just whatever, the standard milk. So it's just like a very small latte. Mm-hmm. And same with the cappuccino. Oh. Cappuccino's in there, like, you know, not as they've connotatively become known as, but like generally like in like really hip, fancy third wave coffee places. They kind of do the more um, OG cappuccino, which is literally just, it's just amount, the amount of milk you have. Like very dry with mostly foam, right? No, no. That's oh. like, that's how it's become known as, and there's certain varieties like that is a cappuccino, but um, from what I understand, like in general, as it was classically known way back when, it's just the amount of milk ratio you have between espresso. Oh. So like it's no milk would be espresso and then macchiato is i think two ounces of milk okay and then cortado is maybe like four or something like that cappuccinos is like six ounces of milk and then and oh. then anything after that is like latte okay that's how it's been explained to me from people who are like you know from the new generation of like you know fancy coffee people but <laughs> um but then but yeah cappuccinos is like popularly known or very dry foamy etc but i like the other one better i like yeah. it to be in between i don't like when it's like no milk mixed with the espresso and only foam on it yeah like what's the point you yeah i agree steam, like foamy milk and then there's espresso somewhere in there uh-huh and like it doesn't com- the espresso doesn't combine with the milk nicely at all yeah no <laughs> um my housemate is a coffee importer really she works at a coffee importing company in so um, fremont shout out to susan and hey, yeah, she, um, I think her background was like international business. So she works with like, she sort of is that connection point between like the farmers where the beans are coming from to getting it to Seattle 
area roasters. Yeah. Which I think is so cool. That's crazy. That's also what my brother does. Oh, really? He works for a coffee importing company called Sustainable Harvest down in Portland. Oh, so, so he does the same kind of stuff. Yeah. That's neat. That's amazing. Susan, Levi, shout out. Yeah, shout outs. I think it'd be cool to like do um, volunteer farming in a coffee farm. That'd be so fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, sorry, I got you off on a big tangent there. A coffee tangent. However, I don't think it was entirely unrelated because I know that you're you're fairly into coffee. Yeah, yeah, I've kind of like come, I've had waves of interest kind of ebb and flow throughout the Do you make years. coffee here or do you uh, usually drink tea? Yeah, I have coffee here. Yeah. What kind of coffee? Um, it just depends what I can grab. Like when I was up in Lake City, usually the easiest was to grab Stumptown from Fred Meyer. You know? And, and then do you drip, make drip coffee or what um, kind of... I do pour-overs. Okay. Yeah. So I have like a little kettle and then you have like a little pour-over and you just get into your cup. Nice. I've been kind of wanting to try that because it seems pretty easy. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, really doable. It's basically just making like a single cup of coffee instead of instead of brewing like, you know, mm-hmm. however much you want in a coffee pot. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, as far as the science of it, it's supposed to get, you're supposed to get a better cup and quality of coffee from it okay neat well that's very good to know um so we were gonna continue talking about identity and i remember when we met at um sod house bakery which you were actually working at for a season one month (laughs) one month (laughs) how was that one month it was wonderful i loved that place it's so cute i loved everyone there um but you know when you have like a dream job come up, then you got to take it. So what was your dream job that came up? Um, so I get to, I work for a company that makes um, studio equipment. So like recording, preamplifiers, compressors, like everything you'd see racked up in stu- like recording studios mm-hmm. in documentaries and that kind of thing. Like they make those. And even I'm pointing to them right here. <laughs> it's so fancy looking. Claire's, Claire's mic is going into one of them right now. It looks like a control panel on a ship. Yeah. yeah. It does. This is the sound ship. <laughs> and it where is. are we going today? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm leaving because I'm thoroughly embarrassed, so. You're what? I'm thoroughly embarrassed. Oh, thir- yes. For my sound ship quip. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> sound ship quip. Um, I sound like my mom when she's like too tired at 2 a.m. or something. Oh, I can relate to that right now. Where you get, like, slap happy? Yes. Yeah. Oh, the best time to be alive. True. Very true. Sometimes I get like that after a 12-hour shift. Yeah. Because I'm hyped and I'm tired. And you're probably still running off of adrenaline. Yes. <laughs> so, like, it's still pumping in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, well, I'm glad we're getting to that point. Yeah, so identity. Yes. So you are working now at, what is it called? Chameleon Labs. Chameleon so labs. I'm the sales manager there, and so I and I handle different parts of marketing as well. And it's basically just it's fun because you know it's is like recording gear that I would use on a regular basis and that I know fairly well, and I get to literally just kind of like talk to people about it, um, sell it, try and be like, here, this is why you should like buy it. It's really good value and asset for you, and just get to like really geek out about stuff that I've already been geeking out of for years. <laughs> That's cool. I bet you get to like meet 
some interesting folks who have yeah. projects going. Yeah, or even like to travel. Like I went to New York for the first time for uh-huh. a trip, and then just was in San Francisco this week. Like that makes me, those are like few and far between kind of trips, but it's been really fun to be able to do that kind of stuff and meet people from across the U.S. Yeah, I mean you haven't been working there for that long to go on. Yeah, just several since trips July, already. So yeah. yeah, not too long. That's rad. Um, well, along the way, after you got done with college, wait, when did you graduate? Which year? Uh, 17. Okay. Um, I graduated the following year. That's 18. Yes. I'm very good at math. <laughs> You're brilliant to math. Why didn't you <laughs> major in math? <laughs> um, so when did you get married? Um, also same year in 2017. 2017, So, graduated in June 2017 and got married in September 2017. Okay, and yeah, sorry, I realize my brain is getting all in multiple directions. I brought up Sodhouse Bakery because I remember we were talking there, um, about, like, this idea of identity and how being still, like, pretty newly married, um, even being post- in post-grad life, like, how those two phenomena were also impacting like how you identify what is your identity and how do you form who you are in the world and function in that um so how has I mean how has that been for you to be both of those things married newly graduated like yes young adulthood in all of its wonder (laughs) it's been it's been formative and like I think the best time of my life like it's been great in so many ways um I love having like a companion and someone to kind of like have around and to do life with and to kind of connect with on such a deep level yeah um it's it's amazing I love it so much and being out of school is really nice like I, I love learning, and so that's I think it's part of why I still love listening to podcasts and that kind of thing, because it's a chance for me to like learn and grow, and um, I really love that. But I don't really miss school. I don't miss school at all, <laughs> just because like the format of it sometimes. And yeah. I think I do. I'm at the point now where it's like I can, I have a lot of momentum to kind of do the things that and pursue the things I want to learn about individually and separately from like an institutional sense. Well, that's um, impressive. yeah I mean I hope so right I mean maybe that's too idealistic but yeah and no homework so that's pretty fun freedom (laughs) (laughs) but I think one of the things it took me a while to understand I'd been married like maybe a year or so to kind of understand what was going on in my brain space but I think one of the things about being married that I didn't really think about was just like the fact that you're not really you're not very independent in so many other ways. Like, you're, everything you do directly affects another person. Yeah. You know, so you have to really account for that when you're um, in a relationship in that way. And so I think what I didn't realize is that that comes with, you know, like a lack of the independence that I had had for so long that it was, I didn't even realize it for a while, but then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like, I just want to just go get coffee when I want without having to like worry about someone else and if they even want coffee or not. Or I want, I don't, I don't want to go out 
go take a hike and not have to like consider another person you know like Mm -hmm. I it's a I think it is partly like a selfish thing but it's also just a healthy thing to be like I want to do something and not literally not have to think about the ramifications of this on anyone else in in a significant sense obviously like there's always that to some degree you always Uh need to be conscious of how your actions affect others (laughs) but when your relationship is more you know you see it more tangibly and Mm -hmm. You come up against it more directly, I guess. Yeah. So I think Kaylin and I are in a beautiful spot because we're really, we're both fairly independent people, um, but both really cherish like having each other. And so I think we're at a good space now where we feel comfortable and we're in our own skins of being able to like do the things we want to do and not worry about like, oh, like, is that going to upset this person or Mm-hmm. And in like being able to take that space for yourself, I think that we do that really well. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like that's you're fulfilling like I feel like that um desire to like exercise independence, at least for me, like post college life has been new and different because mm-hmm. in college, like you do have independence, but there's so much structure going on that I feel like without that, it's almost relearning what independence is like, how you're going to use your time and everything. Yeah. Um, so that's like really wonderful that you have a compatible partner who like appreciates your discovery of that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's like, there's always things you have to figure out as you're understanding how to interact and live with someone. Um, but it's been a very, very fulfilling being able to kind of like figure those things out and then have this sort of like really nice um we just gel you know Mm -hmm. being able to like just live really well together it's awesome (laughs) yeah that's fantastic that's so great um have I guess in terms of like the identity question um have you felt kind of challenged in that in yourself or do you feel like this has been like a natural evolution of like who Tobiah is does that make sense Mm. yeah so I mean I think I've always wanted to be married I've always wanted like I think I do I'm a very loyal person Mm. and I like to have like a a group like a, a limited amount of individuals that I'm really really connect with on a very very deep level and really intimately known um and so and marriage has always made sense to me in that way and not to mention that like that's always been you know what's been pushed you know on every christian um i think for a while the idealistic part of me wanted to live like paul like paul mentioned somewhere that the apostle paul Mm -hmm. um that he's like you know like he never took a wife or anything and he He's like, man, I wish, I wish we could all not be married. And so when I was like 17, I was like, yeah, man, I wish we could all not be married too. <laughs> like you were like, I'm going to be single for life. Yeah. Yeah. Or like go live in a monastery <laughs> and commit myself I had that to phase of maybe becoming a nun. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to just be a monk. This is perfect. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So thinking about that, like, and part of me really wanted to, you know, but it was just because I didn't want 
it's just an idealistic thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but I've always wanted to be married. And so it's always been very firmly part of my identity. And I've always like, and like, I think just to even just like cure loneliness too, like, like I'd just be like, oh yeah, like I should just have a person because then I won't be lonely and everything will be easier because I won't be lonely. Which is true. Honestly, it's true. <laughs> People are meant to be together. Yeah, yeah. And you're supposed to be in community with yes. each other. I went also in my idealistic days in high school. I went like a, I was very, I'm very outdoorsy. I was very outdoorsy. I still probably, it's probably part of my identity still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went for a week, a backpack trip alone, just out into really? the Colorado wilderness to try and like, as a sort of spiritual experience and to... Yeah be like who am I I yeah I guess it is really related to you because in that I was like I was trying to be like god who am I as I was like going into college and trying to figure out yeah everything that's how, how was that um it was awful it was really awful because, wait did you stick it out for four days um I did a week yeah I did a full week um and I tried to <laughs> I tried to eat off the land and you know like basically subsist uh from anything i could find oh my gosh but it was really rainy it was monsoon season in colorado and it was super difficult to get a fire started every day um could not find any food i was even trying to like like use like a catapult not a catapult like a little slingshot to like kill some like mice and stuff scurrying around no you didn't and then (laughs) i was trying to like eat i was trying to figure out edible plants that i could eat and that could have been dangerous. What if you well, ate the wrong I, ones? I knew I was I I'd studied up to know what was okay, of course. And what it looks like, you know. But um but there's you know, there's so very little, you know, you could like eat dandelions, but like what? It's like <laughs> ten calories a day. So I was getting super hungry. Tell me you brought backup. Food. Um my dad hiked up one day and brought You didn't eat for four food. days. I essentially. Ate, no, no, I had I had like a granola bar and I had Dandelions. Some plants. Yeah. I found, ooh, I even found some um, wild onions that I got to chew. And Those must have tasted really good. They were so good. Yeah. But they already wow. were past their lifespan, so it's kind of, they were kind of dry. But okay. Anyways, but that all connects. <laughs> Wait, have you seen Into was, the Wild? Yes. And that was part of, that was like one of the things that I was so romantically idealizing. Alexander Supertramp. Experiences. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I the fact that you had the gusto to do that is... Yeah. Uh, like, I loved it. It was it was awful and terrible and lovely. And, like, I had some of the most transcendent experiences in my life also at the same time. But it was one of those where you just feel, when you're, like, kind of free of the trappings of all normal existence, you're, like, living in a very definite environment, very out of your element, and you're just kind of subject to... A whole different set of issues and experiences. Um, yeah, trying to kill mice. Yeah, but I was like, I was so lonely, mm. and that's what that's what made me think of it. So I was like, just so and so. It was that the the awful. worst part, the the biggest challenge. Yeah, feeling that sort of like loneliness, and so I came away from that trip being like, oh yeah, like man is not meant to live alone, you know, in, yeah. in a very like biblical. I mean, that's, like, the conclusion of Into the Wild, too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, and I guess, yeah, I should have, you know, 
taken heed from that. But I was like... You had to find out yourself. I think I did, yeah. I think I had to experience that very directly for myself. Um, and so with that, I was always like, yeah, all right. <laughs> That's crazy because to know about yourself that you thrive in community and that you do long for close connection and put yourself into that position anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, I'm really inspired by that because I, I feel like right now I've been really, my social energy and my social needs have been like at an all-time high in my life. Um, but so, wait, some, so both your social needs and your social energy have both been at an all-time high? Yeah. That's, so that's a good, at least that's a good correlation. There's not like an imbalance. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I have a lot of energy to socialize with a pretty wide array of friends and connections. Um, and I feel like I really need that right now. Yeah. And a lot of different connections. Um, but sometimes I'm like, I am an introvert too. Like maybe I'm not spending enough time alone. And maybe I need to really do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but for some reason this season has been mostly social and it's felt good and you feel yeah like, and that's great yeah I it feel doesn't like... mean it always has to be that way or that yeah. it should always be that way because I, I kind of feel the same way being an introvert I sometimes will go like you know, a week without seeing anyone really other than Kaylin and then other times where like I like I'm like see I have things planned every night of the week Uh so it just kind of depends um what is your Myers-Briggs I'm an ISFJ okay I was gonna say I feel like we're probably pretty similar but not this I'm INFJ INFJ okay yeah but right now I feel like I'm definitely an extrovert yeah and it's it's not either or right it's waxing and waning yeah (laughs) rising yes um um, well, I also want to get to know the most important aspects of your identity. Yes. With, okay, my first question was, do you have a favorite meme? Oh. I if you honestly... don't, you could also say YouTube video. Oh, man. I think... I'm waiting in eager anticipation. <laughs> Honestly, it's so hard because there's so many memes and there's so many are so funny. Um, okay. I don't think I have a favorite meme specifically, but like a meme format is anything Arrested <laughs> Development oriented. The show Arrested Development. It was aired back in 2004. It had like two, maybe two. It has a few more now that have come out mm-hmm. subsequently. But... There's so many jokes in that show that like I are just hilarious, and then and they build off of each other throughout the whole all the seasons. I've never seen it. It's wonderful. You <laughs> really? gotta check it out. Okay. Uh, but there's so like, and they're just perfect for memes too. So like any Arrested Development memes are just like bound to be gold. <laughs> okay, I kind of just want to pull one up real quick, so that I can. Yeah. And some of them might be like, you're like, I don't understand this. Do I have <laughs> to understand the show? Um, it depends, because some of them you don't, but you can kind of get it. But there are some very specific jokes in there that would be very difficult to, like, comprehend. <laughs> um, okay. I'm pulling... Oh. 
Um, let's do this one. Illusion, Michael. A trick is something a whore does for money or candy. That's um his brother. Oh my gosh, yeah, brother, his brother Job, who's a magician. Okay, fact of the matter, you gotta see it. Okay. But this one is one that is just like. Easy. Wait, I love this guy. Yeah, Michael Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> it says it's a great day for being sad. <laughs> Anyways, so very good. Notice development means. What is your favorite color? Um, in, I think my favorite color is like a teal, cyan blue sort of color. Okay, actually, I like that too. Um, Telecaster is actually very very close to that color. Wait, what's what is a Telecaster? <laughs> oh, that's the guitar behind you. Oh, that color. Okay, that's darker than I was picturing. Yeah, that one's a little bit darker than maybe is ideal, but I see. that sort of hue. Yes, that hue. Okay, um, what's your ideal sandwich? Uh, my ideal sandwich is probably like a Cuban sandwich. Oh. Like paseos or onion. Yeah. Um, like really nice thick strips of pork or whatever and then like thick caramelized onions the onions mm -hmm. very essential with like the nice cuban sauce and the nice else sauce that's on there. probably my sauce it up. okay sauce it up. <laughs> um what is your go-to after school snack oh man i mean growing up or now both so, if they're the same that's okay too besides the chocolates hidden my mom's secret stash I would probably have to say, man, you know, in college it was Pop-Tarts. Pop oh, really? Yeah. My, my parents never let me have like donuts or Pop-Tarts or sugary cereal very much uh -huh. in growing up. So when I got to college, I was like indulging in all of these things. <laughs> so I was like, I want to, we got like a dozen donuts and then we just like eat it in an evening. With that like is such a college thing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but Pop-Tarts, I loved. I loved Pop-Tarts in college. And then in high school, probably like, I had a phase where I went through some peanut butter and celery, you know, sticks. And That's a good so healthy good. snack. Yeah. Did you put the little ants on the log? No, it's never about oh. that. It's too, uh, not a good association. Yeah. Too, too <laughs> insecty. <laughs> yeah. And um, mostly my mom's chocolates, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they must have been good. She must have appreciated you stealing them. <laughs> she would, like, find out that I discovered her stash and then move it to a different place. <laughs> but then I would just eventually find it again. <laughs> I really, I, I was terrible to her. <laughs> I should not have eaten so it's, many of her chocolates. Is that an Enneagram 9 thing, too? <laughs> you guys are chocolate stealers. <laughs> it's how you maintain your energy. To Honestly, provoke peace. It was, it felt like when I was like, I was like, I need this chocolate. I, there's, I have to eat something. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we do need chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um, well, what is the most like hoogly thing in your life right now? Or what is your favorite cozy thing that's in your life? Um, can be abstract or concrete. I'll give you like the ideal abstract Yes. version of that and then what it is in my life concretely yes in reality. okay so i would say ideally it's like laying on 
a sheepskin rug with like next to like a fire, like a a nice little like cozy fireplace Mm. with like vaulted ceilings and nice warm lighting and it's snowing outside. Have you been to this place? Yes, I've been to a few different iterations of this place, but I don't think any of them have ever had a sheepskin rug. So maybe that's why. So it wasn't exactly. Yeah, it's not quite there. But yeah. So that's um, the that's the fantasy yes, of hookah. Yes, that's the fantasy. That's like if I could build my dream house, that would be incorporated into it. And then I'd say in reality, Cricket, 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 cricket. cricket. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's probably like cozying up to, next to a dog and like watching Lord of the Rings oh. um, with a cozy blanket. That's nice. And Kaylin and I can cuddle. That sounds perfect. So it's dog, me, Kaylin, Lord of the Rings. Blanket. Cuddling blanket. Yeah. yeah. Fire, fireplace. Uh, fireplace, Fire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fireplace isn't as, as important in this one. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a nice aesthetic feature, but it's not a reality right now. Yeah. Nor is a dog, actually, now that I come to think of it. <laughs> Maybe soon, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, I'm super blessed to have chatted with you about all this. Same. It's good to catch up. We don't get to do it enough. Yeah. It's true. Not in catching up, it's not just me talking about myself, though, so. <laughs> well, I, I shared a lot, too, and I don't know, just our our connection with mutual faith backgrounds is fuel for much interesting conversation. Fuel for many more coffee, hoogly sessions. Yes, ponderings upcoming. and future episode planning and yeah. Tobiah keeping up with my usually a little bit, um, how do I say frantic <laughs> episode designing <laughs> hey we um, always make it happen we do so thank you and for that it's always an honor it's thank great you. and there's so much more to come yes it's only just begun. here's to the podcast what the hell is up a nice fist raising gesture thank you made. yes that should have been described <laughs> <laughs> okay well thanks Tobias thank you Claire Peace.